Our reading today is from 1 Kings, verse th- uh, verse three, uh, chapter 3, verses 3 to 14. I'll get it right in a minute. Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David. Only he sacrificed and offered incense at the high places. The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that was the principal high place. Solomon used to offer a thousand burnt offerings on that altar. At Gibeon, the Lord, appeared to Solomon in a dream by night, and God said, Ask what I should give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great and steadfast love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart toward you. And you have kept from, for him this great and steadfast love, and have given him a son to sit on his throne today. And now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil, for who can govern this, your great people? It pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked for this. God said to him, Because you have asked this, and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right, I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. No one like you has been before you, and no one like you shall rise after you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor all your life. No other king shall compare with you. If you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, these are ancient words, and it would be tempted to think that they were meant simply for the people of that day, especially and particularly King Solomon. But Lord, you have protected these scriptures over the centuries so that we might have them today, so that we might glean some truth for our living today. So open our minds, our hearts, our understanding to understand what it is you're trying to say to us today at this time and in this place, in our lives, in this community, and in this church. So speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. You know, I think there's probably... um, often a misunderstanding about the early church. We think of the early church as being this kind of unified, everybody sits around singing kumbaya and feeling good with each other. And, and so often when there, when there are difficulties, we look back and we go, oh, if things could only be like they were. 
like they were in the Bible. But if, you, if you're really honest and if you look at the scriptures, you'll find out early church was in turmoil, um, especially the church in Corinth. Church in Corinth, um, they were fighting with each other over who was to be the leader. Uh, some wanted to follow Paul. Others wanted to follow Apollos. There were undoubtedly those who really wanted it to be kind of like it was in Jerusalem, you know, with, with James, the head of the church there. There were those who wanted uh, people to become Jewish before they became Christian. Others felt that was ridiculous, and so they were fighting over that. They were fighting over theology. They were fighting over the direction of the church. Some felt that they should go immediately to the Jewish community because they would understand the prophecies of, of what we call the Old Testament. So let's go to them first. That should be our first, uh, um, you know, community that we go to to tell them about Jesus. Others would say, no, we need to go to the Gentiles. And so they struggled over that. They were struggling about everything. And because of that, Paul wrote some letters to them in trying to encourage them and trying to teach them that there's another way. And so he writes in 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, these words, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of services, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who activates all of them in everyone. He was trying to say, look, yeah, there are all these kinds of people and they have all kinds of gifts and yeah, they want, some want to go here and some want to go there, but you know, that's really not such a bad thing. They're all part of the body of Christ, you see. He could have been writing to us. He could have been writing to First United Methodist Church, or for that matter, he could have been writing to Charlottesville, or for that matter, to the United States of America right now. We need to learn that we're all in this thing together. It's like we're in a boat and some people want to poke holes in the boat and we're all in it. That's why over the next five weeks, we're going to look at the spiritual gifts that are listed in the Bible. And we're going to talk about the varieties of gifts and ministries of the people of this church. The Bible lists at least 20 gifts and you can find them listed in five different passages of Scripture. You can see those uh, passages are listed up on the, up on the screen. Um, you can also find them in your bulletin. Uh, if you look inside where the announcements are down near the bottom, it says, uh, Weave Us Together. That little box there, it, it shows you those Scripture passages. So in your leisure at home, you may want to go read those, those passages. Romans 12, 6 through 8. 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10. And then there are two passages in, uh, well, the other passage in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Ephesians 4, 11, and 1 Peter 4, 11. Now, I, for sake of trying to deal with all these gifts over these five weeks, I've divided them into kind of five categories. They're, it's fairly arbitrary on my part, but it's it, I'm trying to, put together those gifts, those spiritual gifts that seem to have a connection with one another, and that's how we'll be looking at them over, the, over these five weeks. Those five categories are discernment, leadership, service, compassion, and generosity. Now, you can find the entire list of those 20 gifts on these yellow sheets with a little paragraph for each gift. So if you want to know what a particular gift means, 
besides looking in the scriptures, in the scriptures, it simply lists them, whereas this will kind of tell you about the, the different uh, spiritual gifts. And you'll find these in the connection kiosks around the church and in, in other kind of uh, folders around the church. So I encourage you to look at that. Also in the bulletin, it tells you a website where you can go where it gives that information, but it also allows you to, to an, do an, an assessment. I, uh, where you can assess your own particular spiritual gifts and find out what it, you know, what kind of gifts do you have and how might you be able to use them. Today we're going to examine the gifts of discernment. And I've put five of those 20 spiritual gifts within this category of discernment. The first one, of course, is discernment itself. The gift of discernment in a nutshell, is the ability to see beyond the surface, to perceive truth at a deeper level. Someone who has the, the gift of discernment looks beyond just what we might, what everyone else kind of sees on the surface, but kind of is looking deeper. I, I imagine that uh, John, the writer of the Gospel of John, probably had the gift of discernment because his whole gospel is about looking deeper, looking deeper. The the gift of faith now is the gift of confidence in God's plan. It's, it's, it's trusting in the unknown future. A person who has the gift of faith is one who's willing to kind of take risk, who's willing to just kind of step out in faith, not knowing what's on the other side of the horizon. You, you want to have people of faith. You want to have people who have that gift because a whole lot of us don't want to go over the horizon not knowing what's there. And so we need someone to kind of pave the way for us, to encourage us. So it's important to have people with the gift of faith. Then you have the uh, gift of the interpretation of tongues. That's the ability to understand the wisdom of others and it's translated into communication that, that others can understand. Um, now, in the, in the more traditional sense of this, the interpretation of tongues had to do with glossolalia, you know, when people, when they would gather in the community and they would, uh, people would be speaking in tongues, the kind of a, what most of us would feel like was gibberish. And so the person who has interpretation of tongues would be someone who could interpret what was being said, because otherwise it's just, it has no meaning to anyone. So the person with the gift of the interpretation of tongues is someone who can kind of take what is being said by others in the community, people who maybe are hearing from God some message that the rest of us need to hear, and th they have the ability to, uh, to talk about it in a way that we can understand. So it's really important to have someone who has that gift within the community of faith. And then you have the gift of knowledge. That's the, that's the gift that... Um, that provides the ability, and if not the ability, certainly the desire to take lots of facts and data and to connect the dots of all that. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I'm often overwhelmed by all the information that, that comes to us across the airwaves, through the Internet and, and otherwise. A person with the gift of knowledge can take all of that information and sift through it and, and make some sense of it all and especially sense of it in relation to what God is wanting for all of us. And then there is the gift of prophecy. Now, the gift of prophecy doesn't involve just simply, well, it does not involve predicting the future. It's, that's not what um, uh, the gift of prophecy is all about. 
But it's about hearing the voice of God and speaking God's message even when it's difficult. We need people with the gift of prophecy because most of us aren't listening too well to what God is trying to say to us. A person with the gift of prophecy is always listening and is speaking those words that they are hearing. And we need people who are able to do that. And especially we need people who are willing to do that in the face of, of, of obstacles, in, in the face of people kind of pushing back. The community of faith needs people with all these various gifts. We need a variety of people, and you can start beginning to see why they're all important to have within the community of faith. And then finally, there is the gift of wisdom, the one gift that I think sort of brings all the other gifts together. The gift of wisdom is rooted in the heart of God, and it gives clarity to often competing interests. You can imagine, you could take any one of the gifts that I, that I listed before I got to wisdom, and, and if that dominated, if any one of them dominated and all the rest were kind of, uh, kind of put aside, we, we would truly be in chaos. We would be definitely going in different directions, whereas the gift of wisdom uh, is a gift that someone is given that can then sort of put it all together. It makes sense of it all for us. To, to make it clear that we need all the various gifts of the body of Christ. Solomon was given the gift of wisdom. And I think we can learn from him how we can best utilize our various gifts of discernment in our church and in our community. Now, as, as you may recall from the scripture reading, Solomon was the son of David, and so he was beginning to reign at the death of David. And he was a young man, according to Solomon's own words, and he was scared to death. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know if he had the ability to lead the people. And so he... He has this dream, which probably began sort of as a nightmare for him because he's, he's wrestling with, with his new responsibility. And in this dream, God comes to him and God asks him what God could give him. And his response we find in verses 7 through 9. I'll read them. And, and now, O Lord, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. Although I am only a little child, I do not know how to go out or come in. And your servant is in the midst of the people whom you have chosen, a great people, so numerous they cannot be numbered or counted. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people, able to discern between good and evil. For who can govern this, your great people? It's, it's almost surprising that he would ask for such a thing, but you can understand why. He didn't know what he was going to do. He didn't know how he was going to take the next step. And so when God says to him in this dream, what do you want? His first inclination is, well, give me, give me some wisdom. Give me, give me the ability to, to know right from wrong, to know what I should do. And God's reply is maybe just about as surprising. We find that in beginning with verse 11. God said to him, because you have asked this and have not asked for yourself long life or riches, or for the life of your enemies, but have asked for yourself understanding to discern what is right. I now do according to your word. Indeed, I give you a wise and discerning mind. I give you a wise and discerning mind. What's important to note here 
is that this gift of a wise and discerning mind is a gift. Solomon doesn't earn it. He doesn't buy it. He doesn't work for it. It is a gift. God gives it to him. And he soaks it up. And this is how he uses his gift. If you read, beginning with the very next verse in the scriptures, following this account of Solomon's dream, if you read the next story, you find the story of the two women who give birth to sons. And I'm sure you're familiar with the story, but I'll try to recount it uh, briefly. And that is they each give birth to a son. And in the middle of the night, after the birth of these two sons, one of the boys dies. And so the mother of the child that has died switches the children while the other mother sleeps. And so when the mother awakens whose son survived the night, she finds that she's holding a dead child in her arms. And she realizes it's not her son. And so, obviously, a conflict arises between the mothers, both claiming to be the mother of the, of the son that has lived. And so they're brought before King Solomon, and he must make a decision about what, how, how is he going to decide who is the real mother? This was before DNA. There was no way to figure out who was, you know, who was the mother. And so what he does is he calls on his servants to bring a sword, and he's going to cut the baby in half and give each mother half of the child because they couldn't come to an agreement. And almost immediately, the mother of the child cries out, don't, don't give the child to the other woman. And in his wisdom, Solomon knows who is the real mother. It is obviously the mother who does not want her child to be killed. And she is willing to give up her child so that her child might live. And the scriptures tell us that the people, having heard this story, are, they were in awe of Solomon's wisdom. I think we could use such wisdom today. We could use such wisdom among us. Because you see, there are some among us in this church and in our community and in our nation who would divide the baby. They are so convinced of their position that they will hang on to it even if it means killing the baby. And who's the baby? The baby's our church. It's our community. It's our nation. That's our baby. And some among us are saying, I'm right, and they're wrong. Cut the baby in half. I will not relent. My position is the correct position, and it's more important than the child. Solomon knew that the real mother wouldn't let that happen. I don't think Solomon was planning on killing that baby. But I think he knew that the real mother would stop the sword. That's the kind of wisdom that he had. We need people among us not only like Solomon, who understand that, but we need people among us like the mother of the child, who will put the child first, above all else. You see, if the child dies, what does it matter if we're right? 
Do you think the mother of that child would be thrilled with the fact that she had half a baby knowing that she was right and at least that other woman didn't get the child? Do you think that would give her comfort? Can we really congratulate ourselves for being so correct? We are part of a church with diverse gifts. We live in a community and a nation with great and wonderful diversity, diversity of insights and talents and gifts. And this diversity can only enrich us. It's not something to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. You see, diversity is not a four-letter word. There are a lot more letters in it. It's a gift from God. And those who have been given the gift of wisdom know that. That's why we need more people with the gift of wisdom who can tell us that, who can convince us that diversity is a good thing. We need to celebrate our diversity even as we celebrate our unity in Christ. You see, in truth, we need each other. Think about it. Prophetic words need people who can interpret the message of the prophet and, and, and can translate those words into words that other people can understand. You see, if, if we've got a prophet among us who has that gift, who can hear clearly the voice of God, but, you know, cannot communicate it in such a way that people can hear it and understand it, we need someone with the gift of interpretation of tongues who can do that. We need each other. A person who has the gift of faith that others of us might think is blind faith may need somebody with the gift of knowledge who can put that faith into the context of facts and data so faith begins to make sense, especially to those of us who are prone to doubt. You know, just having the gift of faith isn't enough. You need to have somebody there that that can help communicate and help help bring the community around that gift and to celebrate it discerning the truth is well and good but wisdom may be needed to determine to determine when best to share that truth and how best to deal with its consequences you see we need each other we have people with different gifts and there and god gives us different gifts for a reason so that together as we, as we share those gifts, we are better off. We need each other. We especially need people who have been given the gift of wisdom and who are willing to share that wisdom with the rest of us. The sword is in the air. Don't you think the baby is worth saving Let us pray. Lord, forgive us. It is so easy to know where we are, but to not see where others are standing. Help us to realize how much we need each other and especially how much we need you. Amen.